That's, that's just beautiful. What meaty, meaty words have just gone through our lips. Tremendously humbling words. Well, once again, this morning we are coming to Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians. We're coming to the end of chapter 2, and we have two final verses of this chapter that we've not yet examined. And so, I want us to look at verses 16 and 17 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I want to remind you probably one more time, if not one last time, of the situation there in Thessalonica. It was such a great deal of suffering, such a great deal of sorrow and persecution and hardship and trial that these brothers and sisters were enduring as a hostile world responded to the church. That was combined with an influx of false teachers who either came to the church or maybe more likely with, from within the church. And, and the problem was that some of the Christians there were thinking that they had missed the rapture. They were thinking that they, they, they thought that they were in the midst of the wrath of God. That the reason that they were experiencing these sufferings, the reason that they were experiencing this trial is because they obviously missed the rapture. They obviously missed being gathered together with Christ. And so they thought that they were in the midst of the wrath of God. Now, of course, the false teachers, as I said, were adding their two cents, saying that they heard from the Apostle Paul, and that was, in fact, the case. They were, they were lending their, their words to that false notion. And last week, we found the Apostle Paul combating that with this wonderful teaching regarding the character of Christians. He says simply that you cannot be in the midst of the wrath of God because... That would not at all be fitting with the character of you as Christians. What what is that character? Well, in verses 13 through 15, we saw that they are loved by Christ and chosen by God and saved from wrath, sanctified by a a spirit-led belief in the truth, called by the gospel, and finally appointed to glory. And that really strikes at the heart of the purpose for which the apostle was writing. He wanted to lead them from being disoriented and discomforted, from being disturbed and deceived, to being comforted with exactly who they were in Christ. And this really leads them away from that disorientation, that disturbing and deceptive notion uh, that They are in the midst of the wrath of God. Simply said, we said last week, there is no reason ever for a child of God to fear the wrath of God. And you need to get that. You need to understand that. There is absolutely no reason ever for a child of God to fear the wrath of God. Now with this in mind, we're coming to the two verses that close chapter 2, and what you'll notice is that we really have a prayer here. It's an, uh, an apostolic, better, better yet, a pastoral prayer, a benediction of sorts that naturally follows this wonderful summary 
of the identity of the Christian, this just beautiful prayer that naturally follows this mammoth, magnificent revelation of truth regarding the identity of a Christian. What we have here, friends, is the Apostle Paul having a great love, a great affection for these people, and so wanting them to grasp the truths that he has laid out for them. He so wants them to recognize the truths that he has laid out for them. He wants them not to live in fear. He wants them not to be in despair. He doesn't want their their faith to be rocked, as it were. And so what does he do? He prays. He prays. You see, he understands that only the Lord can actually apply these truths to their heart. Only the Lord. He, I mean, he's laid out the truth. He set the truth before them. But it really comes down to the work of God to not only bring the encouragement for them to hear, but to ground their hearts in that truth. That's what he's praying for. It's like a, a pastor who's just given this sermon. And he's laid it out. And then after he finishes the sermon, he prays. But you know what pastors do sometimes is that they, they sort of re-preach the sermon that they just preached in the prayer. And like, like bringing it all in summary form and just asking God to root this, root them in this truth. That's what Paul does. He really loves these people. And he just laid out this grand revelation like this great sermon. He just preaches really, really good sermon. And he's going to close it with his prayer, praying that God would, would just rivet their heart and their mind on this truth. And he just revisits some of the things that he's already said. Now, what I want you to see, and we're going to get to the text in a minute, I promise, but I want you to see that it's obvious, at least it's obvious to me in this prayer, that Paul is really desiring for them to be a thinking people. In other words, he really wants them to consider the truth. What it really came down to is that the Thessalonians were wavering on whether or not they were going to believe the truth. Are they going to believe the truth or are they going to continue? And here's really the magic word, if you will. Or are they going to continue to doubt the truth? Have you ever been there? The truth is laid out. But there are either internal reasons or external circumstance that lend itself to you doubting the truth that you have just heard. And that's really the question. Are they going to believe it or are they going to doubt it? We often, I think, we often encounter times of doubt. If you've been a Christian for any a stretch of time whatsoever, you have come across moments, perhaps seasons of doubt in your life. Steve made mention of something similar in his, in his testimony. The truth is laid out, it's clear, but then there are either outside circumstances or some kind of internal strife that seems to contradict what you've heard. And then you're like, well, wait a minute, what do I do? The things that kind of move us off of what we've heard. I want to help you this morning to deal with doubt. In this text this morning, it's going to help us to deal with doubt. And if you're going to do that, you need to know that doubt 
is always dealt with in the mind. Doubt is always dealt with in the mind. You've got to be a thinking people. You've got to be a thinking people. And what I'm going to do this morning, as we look at this text, just these two verses, verses 16 and 17, is show you four truths or four things that you must consider if you're going to be able to serve the Lord well these days. Or I might say it this way, there are, there are four things that we must consider with our minds, four things we've got to think about if we're going to deal with doubt in our lives. What are they? Well, number one, we're going to have to consider what gift has been given to you. Think about the gift that has been given to you. Secondly, you're going to have to think about or consider who has given it. Who's given that gift? Thirdly, consider how it has been given. And then fourth, consider why. Consider what gift has been given, who gave it, how, and why. You'll see it here in our text this morning as we read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Why don't we just pray right now and ask God to do that. Father, we just read what we're asking you to do and we, we ask that with absolute confidence that you'll do that in every believing heart this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you'll see in this text, first of all, as I, I'm pointing out, I, if you're going to deal with doubt, and, and kind of, again, Paul's kind of rehearsing, rehashing some of the things that he already talked about, but if you're going to deal with doubt, the first thing you need to consider is what gift has been given to you. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who, now look at this, who loved us, and now here's what I want to focus on, and gave us eternal comfort and good hope. You've got to consider the gift that you have been given. Now, what I love about this is that this is a prayer. As I said, it's a prayer, an apostolic prayer, really a pastoral prayer. And what he's doing, and we'll talk about this more in just a moment, but what he's really doing is he is focusing his attention on God. And folks, listen, let me just say from the very beginning, if you're going to deal with doubt in your life, you've got to begin here. You've got to begin with God. You've got to begin everything, especially in dealing with fear and especially in dealing with doubt. You've got to take it to the Lord. Isn't that why we sing, what a friend we have in Jesus? What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry, what? Everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. What needless pain we, we bear. All because we do not carry, what? everything to God in prayer. That's where it begins. And so this prayer, he leads us to consider the gift that has been given to you. Prayer, in this prayer, he focuses on what God has given us. He gave us what? Now notice here, you'll think that there are two different things, two different gifts that he has given us. But I think what he says, gave us eternal comfort and good hope, I think that though they, they seem separate, that they're really not. I think it's referring to the same thing. 
This is a tremendous gift that we've got to understand and know. Let's look at it. He says, eternal comfort. I've told you before that the whole purpose that Paul has had in this chapter is to bring comfort to his readers. And that's what God has done. He has given comfort. Now, that word translated comfort is most often translated in the New Testament by the word encouragement. Sometimes even the word exhortation. We have been given the comfort or the encouragement which is eternal. I found this comment very helpful. Listen to this. He says, the apostle does not describe God as the one who gave knowledge or truth or some other gift appropriate for correcting false teachings about eschatological events. Instead, he describes God as the one who gave comfort. The only fitting antidote for the anxiety and fear that was gripping the Thessalonian church. It's not that he wasn't, didn't give them truth, didn't give them knowledge, but he's focusing on the comfort that was given. Listen, you can experience the fleeting encouragement of the world. You might experience some kind of comfort in the world. You, you eat comfort food and you feel comforted until you realize that your waistline is now a size bigger, right? You, you enjoy the comfort of a, of a warm fire of, on a cold day, but those things are all fleeting. They don't last. But do you see what kind of comfort is given to us? He calls it eternal comfort. What is that? It is a lasting comfort. A comfort or an encouragement which is eternal. Never-ending comfort. Never-ending encouragement. He's saying that we have been given a comfort and an, an encouragement that goes on into the eternal ages. Now you might want to say, well, what do you mean a comfort that is eternal? Well, the second thing he mentions helps us to understand what this gift really is. This eternal comfort is further explained or further exemplified in the words, a good hope. When you read the New Testament, you find that the writers in the New Testament love to speak of hope. Paul said to the Corinthians, our hope for you is unshaken. He said, Peter said in Chapter 1, bless, in 1 Peter, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The writer of the Hebrews said, the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Who doesn't like to talk about hope? We all like to talk about hope, don't we? But hope, in the New Testament, is not to be understood as wishful thinking. Every year, I hope in Penn State football. Every year, I hope I won't have to pay as much in taxes. And that is just wishful thinking. It's, I, I might hope that my gas gauge that says E doesn't really mean E, Right? But sooner or later, you're going to be let down on those hopes. It's just wishful thinking. That's how it's become, that's how the word hope has come to be used in our vernacular. But in the scriptures, hope is much more of a confident expectation. The comfort, which is an eternal comfort, is described as a good hope. Interesting. That phrase is good hope is only used here in the New Testament. 
Call this hope the good hope. And friends, what is the good hope of believers? I believe that the good hope of believers is elsewhere called a blessed hope. Paul says this in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, that we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, you've got to think this morning. You've got to consider the gift that has been given to you as a believer in Jesus Christ. And what is that gift? The gift is the eternal comfort of good hope. What hope? The blessed hope which we are awaiting the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ in glory. When Paul said that in Titus chapter 2, he had in mind the same things as he has in mind here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. In Thessalonians, he is leading them to turn from fear and doubt that has caused them to freeze. You ever realize how fear and doubt does? It causes you to freeze, to to, 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 to freeze up, to be like, I, I can't do this. I can't, I can't do anything else. And that's what was happening in Thessalonica. They were frozen in their fear and they were frozen in their doubt. And he says, I want you to be freed from that. Turn from the fear and doubt and he reminds them of the gift that they've been given, which is what? The confident expectation that they will see Christ. That's the good hope of the believer. What a day, we already heard that. What a day that will be when my Jesus, what? I shall see. That's the great day when the dead in Christ shall rise first. And those of us who are alive and remain are taught up together to be with the Lord in the air. You've got to think. If you're going to defeat doubt, you've got to think about this gift you've been given. Eternal comfort, the eternal comfort of a good, solid Hope, that's not wishful thinking, but confident expectation. Second, you need to consider who's given it. You'll notice we skipped a couple of words there in verse 16, so I want to come back to that. May, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and the God and God our Father who loved us. What's interesting to me in the, in the original language, the word himself is actually in the emphatic position. In other words, that's the very first word of, of the sentence. The focus of this prayer is on the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father Himself. Something that, that caught my mind is that there are two subjects in this sentence with one singular verb, or with a singular verb, I'll say it that way. Two subjects, Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father. What are the verbs? Comfort and establish, verse 17. Literally, we would say, may he comfort, may he establish. In other words, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father. And he doesn't say, may they establish or may they comfort. One man said that we don't see the complete merging of the two, Jesus and Father, but neither do we see the complete separation of the two. Let me just point this out to emphasize that the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ is assumed. Who has given this gift? Well, our Lord 
himself, the Lord himself, our Lord. Paul told the Thessalonians in the first epistle, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. The Lord himself, he's not going to send somebody else. Who is the one who gives this eternal comfort and good hope? The Lord, our Lord himself. But then he says, our God, our Father. Now, now you might want to say, he says, to God our Father who loved us. And you might say, well, wait a minute. Didn't we just say that it's Christ who loved us? Back up in verse 13, beloved by the Lord. We said that was Christ. Yes, we did say that. I thought it was Christ who loved us. Yes, he does. And so does our Father. <laughs> our Lord loves us. And so does our Father. You are loved by the Lord And you are loved by the Father. Furthermore, you notice the personal relationship that exists here. Our, our Lord, our Father. Friends, in Christ, you are inextricably linked in your relationship to the Lord and the Father such that you can call Him yours. Moreover, He can call you His. You can call Him yours but he can call you his. But the point here is how he is loved. And the text is clear. What we read here is actually, when it says uh, he, he who loved you, it's literally who is the lover of you and the giver to you. He is the lover and the giver. They're, they're really one. He loved you by giving you this great gift. Now I want to emphasize again. You have to consider who it is who has given this gift of eternal comfort and good hope. If you're going to defeat doubt in your life, you've got to think. You've got to consider the magnitude of the glory of this statement. That our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God who is our Father. Who is the one who loved us is also the one who is the giver of this gift. He's the one. He's the one who gives us the eternal comfort of good hope. Consider what gift has been given and who has given it and then consider why. I don't want to take much time here, but just a few seconds, not because it's not important, but but it is necessary. How has this gift been given? Do you see it there? May our Lord Jesus Christ himself, just look at the text, and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope. And how did he give it? What's it say? What's it say? Through grace. In the sphere of grace. Through the instrumentality of grace. Brothers and sisters, the comfort of good hope is not dependent on you achieving some level of spirituality. It is not something that is for only some believers and not for others. This is a gift of grace. It is a gift of unmerited favor. It is the given in the sphere of grace. Part of the way that God loves you is by freely bestowing on every genuine believer, every genuine believer, Everyone, eternal comfort, good hope. You don't have to achieve some level of maturity. 
You don't have to achieve some level of spirituality. This is given as a matter of course. It is given with grace. That's how he does it. So many people struggle with doubt because you look at other people and you think they have something you don't. And what we have to realize is that anybody who's been given grace has this as a matter of course, as, a, as just genuine to what grace is. And then fourthly, consider why. Why has this been given? Now we come to verse 17, which is really the, the main substance of this pastoral prayer. Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work. When word, we could probably phrase it like this. May he comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Now, I use that word may very, very carefully. In, in English, it's very difficult to, to translate the words as they're actually written. There are tenses or moods in, in the Greek language, which we just don't have in English. And the mood that is used here is, is not expressive of some wishful thinking. It's not expressive of some faint hope. This is just really something to me. It just captured my attention. I've not often come across this grammar, but the mood that is used in the verbs has the force of expressing that which is a, a, a attainable. This is what one commentator said. He said it conveys not merely Paul's faint hope, but also his confident prayer that Jesus and God will comfort the shaken minds and fearful hearts of the believers in Thessalonica. Paul is praying this prayer and he's not wringing his hands. Sometimes that's how we pray. We wring our hands. Paul is confident as he expresses this prayer before the Lord. Why? Because he knows that he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. And so he prays, may, and this is the reason for this, 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 this gift that has been given, to comfort your hearts. That word comfort, again, used again, just showing us Paul's purpose. Very pastoral here. It's the same word as encourage. That's part of the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believers. Part of the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believers. It's why we've been given the Holy Spirit. Listen, his ministry is a ministry of comfort. The church in America, the church in the world today has really been led astray by the, by the modern charismatic movement to think that the work of the Holy Spirit is something other than what he says it really is in John chapter 16. The work of the Spirit is a ministry of comforting our hearts. How? By reminding us of what Christ said. Just Sometime look, look up John 16, verse 7 through, through 13. We won't take the time now. You see, 
That is how Paul could be so utterly confident that his prayer would be answered because, get this friends, in a sense, his prayer was already answered. Why? Because God has already given everything that was necessary for the hearts to be comforted because he's given the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And you see, sometimes the reason we lack comfort The reason that we experience doubt is because we're expecting the Spirit of God to do or to minister in such a way that He never intended to minister. You're expecting some kind of ecstatic experience and some kind of gibberish to come out of your mouth or some kind of flopping around on the floor or the little hairs in the back of your neck to stand up and thinking that that's the gift of the Spirit. But that's never the gift of the Spirit. The gift of the Spirit is always a gift of glorifying Christ by reminding you of what Christ has said. To comfort you and to establish your hearts. Now we've already seen these two words used together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 2, we read this. And we sent Timothy our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort, to establish and encourage you in your faith. This is something that's been on Paul's mind already. That's why he sent Timothy. The first issue of comforting your hearts looks back to the issues that they were dealing with. May God comfort your heart in this issue, these eschatological issues. The second, to establish your heart, looks forward. Comfort looks back on what has happened established looks, looks at the present and looks forward. And what he's saying is, may God, and he will, may God strengthen your heart. May God put some spiritual rebar in your heart and give you the strength that you might continue on in every good work and word. May God keep you from being frozen in fear. May God keep you from being destroyed in doubt. That's what was happening in Thessalonica. People were just becoming idle, busybodies, growing weary and well-doing. And he says, may God, and he will, may God comfort you with this truth, but more than comfort you, may he strengthen your heart, give you some spiritual wherewithal to, listen, to do and to speak. That's what he says, every good work and every word. To do and to speak those things which are good and lovely in God's sight, even when circumstances around you are less than optimal. Especially when circumstances around you and strife within you is less than optimal. So if you're going to defeat doubt, you're going to conquer fear that so many of us live in, you've got to be thinking. Thinking about what? You've got to think about the gift that has been given you. This, the eternal comfort of a good hope. Not a bad hope. Not a maybe hope. But the, the, the eternal comfort of a solid hope that you can bank your life on. That you'll see Christ. You, you've got to consider who it is that's given it to you. Our Lord, the one we submit to, right? And our Father who loves us and is the one who gives it. And how does he do it? 
He doesn't say, now you attain to this level and then we'll, we'll give you a second blessing here. You attain to this level and then I'll make sure that I give you a little something extra. He just gives it as a matter of grace, unmerited favor. He bestows it on you. And why? So your heart might be comforted as you speak and do in this present age toward that end. You see, brothers and sisters, what we do is we live with hope in view. You live this life with that hope in view. The hope of seeing Christ face to face. Do you have that hope? As you come here today with a you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, you'd be with God. Do you have that hope? Some of you do, but some of you don't. As you've come here with religion, you've come here with your own goodness, but you've never come with Christ. Well, praise the Lord. The good news is that you today can, just by repenting of your sin, recognizing your sin, and coming to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be given that hope. Will you do that today? Will you repent of your sin? And express your faith and hope. Lord, I'm a sinner. I know it. I don't know much, but I know I'm a sinner. And I know I cannot earn heaven on my own. I'm going to trust Jesus alone today for the first time. Maybe that needs to be you. If it does... Don't hold back. <laughs> Don't say, yeah, but, or any of those things. Just right now in your heart, coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been dealing with doubt, as many are. And I told you before, the way to deal with that is by thinking, thinking rightly. Maybe the way to deal with that is by taking this prayer seriously. Maybe praying this prayer or finding somebody else. You go up to somebody else this morning and say, listen, I struggle with doubt. Will you pray this for me? You don't know what words? Well, here, here's right in the ESV version. Just pray it just like that. Lay your hands on me and pray this prayer. <laughs> Think of me all week this way and pray this, this week and pray this prayer for me because I am really, I'm frozen right now. If that's you, Take heed and take heart to these words. Let's pray together.